0: You're listening to another New Hope, New Hope podcast. Chapel podcast. This podcast is from our series, Life in the Body, presented by Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel.
1: Well, I heard a joke this week I thought I'd share with you. Um, there was a couple, and they were engaged to be married, and the night before their wedding, they were killed in a, in a tragic car accident. That's not the joke part. But they, they went to heaven... Because they were Christians, and they went to heaven, and they um, approached Saint Peter, this is the Catholic version, and they approached Saint Peter and they said, "Peter, I mean we're excited to be in heaven and all, and so thrilled to be here, but we were we were engaged to be married, and you know we'd love to be married and Peter looks at him, and he's like, "Are you sure about this?" and they're like, "Look, help us out if we're going to be here for eternity, we want to be married." Peter says, "All right, let me let me think." Let me see what I can do. Come back in 50 years. 50 years later, they come back and they tell Peter, remind him the story. And Peter says, ah, yes, yes, I remember. But I'm going to need more time. Come back in another 50 years. Another 50 years goes by. And they come to Peter and he says, couple that wants to get married. Good news, we're going to have a wedding. It's going to be today. I hope you're ready. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're totally ready. We're going to be married. This is exciting. And so they get married. Well, a year later, they come back to Peter and he says, Newlyweds, how was everything? How was the honeymoon? How's the first year of marriage? Tell me about it. And they look at him kind of dismally and they said, It's not so good. We um, we want a divorce. Peter turns white in the face and he says, Are you kidding me? It took a hundred years to get a preacher up in here. How long do you think it's gonna take before we get a lawyer? <laughs> those are just those are one of the jokes we tell on Tuesday nights. <laughs> one of many. Well, tell me if, you've, if this sounds familiar to you. Perhaps uh, you've been in a situation where you've had something against someone. Maybe something about somebody bothers you. It might be a personality issue. It might be something they did to you. Uh, maybe an issue that needs forgiveness and you just don't know how to approach it. You don't want to offend them. You don't want to hurt their feelings. You don't want to push them away. Um, But you're really wrestling with this. And the more that you wrestle with this, the more it starts to build up and you start losing sleep and things like that. And so you go to somebody else to tell them about it, you know, to make sure that you that you have legitimate feelings. Not to gossip or anything, although sometimes it turns that way. And at the end, you still don't know what to do. And so you wrestle with it some more and some more and some more. And suddenly it starts to build up. And that one thing that's stuck in your mind about what they did to you or that personality flaw, it seems like everything they do, it just strikes that chord. And you're like, ah, that that person irks me. And more and more that you think about it, it, you're just losing sleep and losing sleep, and you think, I've got to do something about it. But by the time you're ready to do something about it, you have built so much emotion and so much steam behind it. You're just ready to snap. And you're going to go into that conversation, if you get to that point, with your guns loaded and your armor, just and you're ready to shoot and fire, right? I'm sure that happens to all of us at some point or another. And today we're going to talk about speaking the truth in love. How do we avoid getting to that point where things start boiling over? And how do we approach someone that we have issues with? Um, how, do we, how do we deal with all of this? You know, this is important, I think, um, Certainly, I'm no expert at this, and I kind of took this week, uh, actually the last few weeks, to really study on this and learn how I could improve myself in this area. Because this is a really important area, especially in the life of a church. And I've been in ministry for a number of years now, and no matter where you are, no matter what church, you always have situations where there are conflicts that occur, because we're human beings, and that's what happens, and we have conflicts. And how do we deal with those conflicts? Well, a number of times I've seen where individuals have an issue and they let that issue sort of build up and build up and build up. And maybe with a pastor and maybe with a ministry team leader, maybe with just a church in general. And by the time that they they dealt with it, by the time they approach someone to talk about it, they're ready to snap. And they've already made the decision in their mind. Instead of dealing with it, instead of resolving the issue, it's more like I've already resolved myself to leave the church. And that's the last thing we want. We want to make sure that we're dealing with this little by little make sure that we approach this issue and deal with the situations as they arise rather than getting to the point where we're so angry, so built up, so frustrated that there's nothing more that we can do. We've already made up our mind. Let's take a look, if we would, in Ephesians chapter 4. This particular phrase here, speaking the truth in love is a popular phrase, It's only used once in Scripture, though. It's used in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at that. We'll begin in verse 11, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work so i tell you this and insist on it in the lord that you must no longer live as the gentiles do in the futility of their thinking they're darkened in their understanding separated from the life of god because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts and having lost all sensitivity They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind's and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they might... Have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God. Gave you. Well, as we look at this issue, there's a lot here to talk about, and I'm actually going to look at every part of this, but I'm going to kind of change the order up. Instead of speaking the truth in love, we'll look at love, truth, and then speaking. And the first is love. I kind of want to piggyback off something Bill did last week, and that is I want you to think in your mind of someone whom you have a conflict with. And if there's someone here in church, Someone in a ministry, by all means think of that person. If it, maybe it's not, maybe you, you don't have any conflicts here, or any kind of things that rub you the wrong way about somebody, a, a personality issue. Maybe it's a, a family member, maybe a coworker, or maybe someone else. And I want you to think about that person in your mind for just a moment. Good? Now I want you to love them. <laughs> You might say, well, how am I supposed to love them? In some cases you might say, I, I barely even like the person. How do I love them? How do I find a way to love them? Well, let's talk about that for just a moment. A lot of the issues that we have with people are personality issues. We think of somebody and, and they do something. There's something about them that rubs us the wrong way. And if you think about it, it's like, it's like that one person, they have that tough tone, or they, the way that they communicate just seems a little bit off, or... Or maybe they seem always mean to you or something like that. And, and, and it's like every time that you think of them, this is, this is what they're, they're boiled down to. Maybe it's something they did. And so over and over, you replay what they did. And everything that they do is in the context of that thing that caused you offense. Well, let's think about it this way. What happens when you see an attractive woman or an attractive man and you begin to lust for them? Well, what are you doing? Well, you are taking one aspect of their life, one aspect of who they are, and blowing it up out of proportion, right? And always within the context of your personal feelings, right? So it doesn't really matter if it's disdain or lust. It's sort of the same sort of thing. We are reducing an individual by magnifying a singular aspect of them within the lens of personal feeling. It's all about this makes me feel this way, and this is who they are. They are that person that caused me offense through that person that, or, or in the case of lust, through that person that's very attractive, has a very attractive body. And, and so our minds wander within the context of how it makes us feel. It's all a focus on feeling. So if that's disdain, if that's lust, if that's the opposite of what we're supposed to do, what about love? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us that love does not dishonor somebody. It is not self-seeking. It's not always within how we feel. It is not easily angered or, in some, some cases, easily offended. It always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. And it always perseveres. You know, what's interesting about the, the word for love in the Greek is that there's actually a few words for love. And this is, just as a side note, this is, this is sort of one of the points that I make towards Christians who kind of condone and praise homosexuality behavior within the church. And I say, well, there are really a few words for love. And we have to be able to separate eros, the erotic love, from agape, the love of God. Agape love is the love that's talked about over and over here in Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 13, that there is a context to have an eros love or a phileo, a brotherly love, but agape love is how we are supposed to love and treat everyone. So what is agape love? Agape love is the love that Jesus has for us. So how do we love like Jesus loves? We see an individual through the lens of Jesus and treating him or treating them as we, as he would treat them. Not as, just as we would treat them or as we would want to be treated, but as Jesus would treat them. I, it's kind of a funny story. I was, I was talking... Um, I was talking with a group of friends, and we we're talking about um, a, a news commentator. And I, I said something. I said something like, "Oh, that guy's a jerk." And my friend pointed out to me, "He's like, well, you just need to see them as Jesus sees them." We all had a good laugh, and I'm like, "You're right. You know, you're right. I do need to see them the way that Jesus sees them." One of the things that um, I often think about at times is I think about how somebody is loved by their parents. Uh, one of the the moments I'll never forget about my wedding day is when my father-in-law handed Carleen to me and said, take good care of her. And my father-in-law is a man of very few words. He does not speak much. But uh, those words were very weighty. And I know that even though I don't always know what my father-in-law is thinking, I know how he feels about his daughters, and especially Carleen. So In those moments when we think about someone and we think about, well, they drive me nuts. I can't imagine anyone loving them. Well, it always helps to think about there is somebody that loves them, right? There's family members that love them. If they're married, they have a spouse that loves them. Even though we find it hard to tolerate them, there are people that treasure them. Well, not only does everyone have these type of relationships and friendships and familial relationships, but everyone has a heavenly father. And our heavenly father treasures us our heavenly father loves us so what i always find very helpful in moments where uh, i'm objectifying somebody for better or for worse um well always for worse but what i what i find helpful is just to stop and to say jesus i invite you into the relationship show me how you love this person so why don't we just close our eyes for just a minute let's try that today Just a a practical exercise. And what we're going to do is just say, Jesus, I invite you into my relationship with this person. And I ask, Lord, that you would open up my heart and my eyes and my ears and my senses, not to see them as I see them, but to see them as you see them. You might have a picture in your mind of Jesus standing near them or next to them or his arms around them. You might have a picture in your mind of Jesus dying for them. Maybe you hear Jesus whispering words to you. I love them. They're treasured. They're my child. I honor them. Maybe you just have a sense, a feeling, the same feeling that you might get uh, in those intimate moments that you have with the Lord. That helps, doesn't it? Seeing them as Jesus sees them changes everything. And that's really, that is really a practical thing that we can do. Uh, whenever we're in a situation where we find ourselves really annoyed with somebody or a situation where we're really offended, we start really going after that person to say, Jesus, help me to love this person. I mean, you obviously love them. Help me to love them as well. Well, now that we've gotten love down and we're experts in loving people, right? We'll move on to truth. When we're talking about truth, there's really a number of things that we can talk about. There's different types of categories of truth. In this particular passage in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is talking about two things. He's talking about doctrine, and he's talking about morality, right? And there's another truth that we can also look at, and that's the truth of methodology. That really a lot of our issues with people, especially in the church, don't have anything to do with doctrine. A lot of times they don't have anything to do with morality. A lot of times they have to do with a way somebody does something, right? In other words, we have to discern whether we're dealing with heresy, whether we're dealing with sin, a morality issue, or is this a personality issue? Is it just their personality conflicts and and butts heads with my personality? What is the issue here? And I think if we understand that issue and the truth that we're dealing with, it helps us to have a better approach when we get to the speaking stage. I want to echo a couple things that uh, Julie and Bill have said in the past couple weeks. And if you haven't had the chance, listen to it, fantastic messages and I believe they're on the podcast that we have on our website. But Julie said, instead of judging people based on cultural differences, choose your battles by targeting those things that are sinful. Choose the moral issues, the doctrinal issues, not necessarily always the cultural, or maybe we could even say personality issues. But there are times when personality or methodology issues uh, come into play, when there ought to be some confrontation. Um, just from experience, we always talk about In the worship team, being on time, you know, being on time is an issue. Well, obviously there are some cultural differences with people being on time or some personality differences with people being on time. But at the bottom line is if it's causing a disruption in the flow of ministry to the point where it's a detriment to the ministry, then maybe there ought to be something that's said. Bill said the very fact that we don't tolerate something means that we need to forgive it. I think, the, I think you have to have a Twitter account to preach here. <laughs> yeah. um, the very fact that we don't tolerate something. So in other words, when things start bothering us and bothering us and bothering us, that is a need for forgiveness. There is a need for some sort of confrontation. Now, Bill talked about inward forgiveness and outward forgiveness, that sometimes all we need to do is we just need to forgive them inwardly. But in a lot of cases, in the cases that I just talked about, Sometimes there has to be that confrontation, that, that, that moment of forgiveness, that what you did really is bothering me, it's offending me, it's hurting this, uh, it's doing whatever. And that needs to be a moment of outward forgiveness. So when we're dealing with the issue of truth, we need to be able to discern. And one way that we can discern what's going on, if it's a doctrinal issue or a morality issue, or even a, just a methodology issue, is we need to listen. Listen a, a while back, someone um, had confronted me about a lot of different issues that were going on and And as I listened to this person, I thought, "You know I, I hear what you 're saying. I, I understand what you 're saying, I, and your, your feelings are, are are valid, but I just get the impression that a lot of this isn 't the full story that there 's a lot of pieces here that you 're not sure about that." You, that, you've miss, that you're missing out on. And, and let me fill those in with you. James reminds us in James chapter 1, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then James goes on to say, it says that in your anger do not sin. That's what we saw in Ephesians 4 as well. In other words, sometimes it's completely justified to become angry. But in your anger don't sin. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then there comes the times after we've listened, after after we have discerned the situation, after we have kind of identified the truths in our minds, after we have loved the individual, that there comes a time to speak. And a lot of times, like I was saying before, we come to conversations if we have not taken the time to focus and relax and think and love the person and and discern what's going on, we come to the table with our guns loaded and we're ready to go, right? We are ready for a fight. And we've got everything that we're going to say lined up, boom, 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 and we are ready to just take apart this person and tell them everything that they've ever done that was wrong, right? Well, speaking is done best at the intersection of love and truth. And I think if we find that intersection, we will not find it hard to speak. It will come much more naturally than if we never find that intersection. John John Maxwell, as many of you know John Maxwell, uh, the writer of the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership and many other leadership books, said people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? You've heard that phrase could even say people don't care what you have to say unless they know that you care. That love is important. That love is central to the issue. That truth is also there as well. But there oftentimes comes the time to speak. So when do we speak? And what's our motivation for speaking? That's another thing. Are we, are we looking to convict somebody of what they're doing? Are we looking to rebuke them? Or are we simply looking to get something off of our chest so we can sleep at night. What is our motivation? Well, there's a great story in Corinthians in the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we read about it. Paul rebukes the church at Corinth. And this is what he says. He says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud? Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? And he goes on in verse 5 to say, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. And then moving on into verse 12, and he, he kind of reiterates that. And in verse 12 he says, What business of mine is it to judge those outside the church? Aren't you to judge those inside? God will judge the ones outside. Expel the wicked person. From among you. In other words, he says, you know, for those who say we're not supposed to judge. Well, we're not supposed to judge non-Christians, right? But when we're dealing with issues in the church that there is a right place to confront. And, you know, judge might not be the right word, but confront issues and approach issues. But in this situation, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we see what's going on. We see that the church was unwilling to confront an issue that was involved with sexual immorality and particularly incest. But then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we read, about, we read this. The same, Paul is writing a second letter to the church at Corinth, and he says, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved the whole, uh, all of you, for, to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. So in the first letter, he confronts them about not dealing with an issue. In the second letter, he confronts them because they've confronted this individual and instead of accepting their forgiveness and and their repentance, they've still ostracized them. He says, wait a second, love them, bring them back into the fold, forgive them, let's move on and let's mend the bonds. Julie said, our driving goal in talking to someone about a sin issue is restoration, not rebuke, or conviction. So when we speak to each other, our goal is to restore them, to bring about repentance, not to rebuke them, not to tell them all the things that they've done wrong, but to say, this is what I would love to see. And and I don't even like the word speak. I like the word encourage. Because if if I think of the word speak, I'm thinking of what I am going to say to someone. If I think of the word encourage, I'm thinking of, how they will respond to what I'm going to say, which may change the way that I say it. Encourage one another. I heard a um, a great story about a, a long term substitute teacher, and he was teaching middle school. We all know how that can be, and and he noticed something. There was a kid in the front of the room, and every and this kid loved the attention. And he would do things to get the attention. Um, And so as the teacher would write on the board, one of the things this kid would do is he'd run up to the desk, he'd grab the teacher's glass of water, and he'd throw the water out the window. Then he'd put the glass back down and sit down, and everybody had a little field day. Well, the teacher caught on. He saw what was going on through the corner of his eye, but he pretended not to see anything. And this happened a couple of days, a few days, and everyone had a good laugh. And finally, instead of... a Instead of rebuking the kid in front of the class, what he decided to do was he waited till after the class. And uh, he he said, come up here, I I want to talk to you for a second. He said to the kid, he said, I've noticed something. Since I've been teaching here, I've noticed that when I turn to write on the board, my glass of water somehow empties itself, and I'm not sure who's doing it or what's going on. He said, so what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to be the one in charge of making sure nothing happens to that glass of water. Do you think you could do that for me? Uh, Yes, sir, I think I could do that to you. Well, the problem stopped, right? He empowered that individual. He encouraged that individual to be productive. The kid wanted to be a leader. He gave him a leadership position and sort of rerouted the way that he was acting. As many of you know, if, if if you're in any management position, you know that probably the more difficult times of your job the the more challenging times is not uh, trying to get someone to do their job, but rather dealing with the conflicts, the personality conflicts that happen within your organization. That individuals don't get along with this person or they're having a hard time uh, working through things. And I I know Bill spends a lot of time uh, with uh, different organizations helping them, what, do their job or helping them work together, right, and lead each other and, and be, be effective and efficient with each other. And a lot of times, that, that's the same thing. That's what's, that's what's true about a church as well. That a lot of times, the conflicts that come up have nothing to do with doctrine. They have nothing to do with morality. There's times, sometimes that happens. But a lot of times, it's personality issues. Whether we, have a tr- we are having trouble with a certain teacher, or whether we're having trouble with a certain student, or whether we're having trouble with someone in the ministry team. Let me just encourage you to go through this process that whether you're the leader or whether you're, you're an individual that's a part of the ministry, take a moment. When you find yourself frustrated, love that person. Discern. Take time to listen and discern and reflect and say, is this, is this a heresy issue? Is this a sin issue? Is this just a personality conflict? Does it need to be dealt with? Does it not need to be dealt with? And then encourage that person. Encourage and love them and show them, not not all the things that they've done bad, but all of the ways that you'd love to see relationships mended.